Um, I'm Tammy Muller. I am five feet tall, so up here I look like I'm a lot taller, but last weekend I actually had a lady come up and measure herself up to me. <laughs> she was like, oh yeah, you are short. I'm like, yes, I am. Yep. <laughs> I am. Yeah, so I'll just put that right out there. Um, but I have four kids. I have um, a boy, girl, girl, boy. Max is my oldest. He's going to be 17 in a month. I know. And he's, he, look, he just makes me look good all the time. Like, he just came out like that. He was an easy kid. You know, at that time, people would say, oh, God doesn't give you more than he can handle. And I thought, wow, God doesn't think I can handle very much because <laughs> this kid is good. <laughs> you know, and then Charlie came out. She was a daughter, and she came after him, named after my husband, whose name is Charles, but we call him Chuck, so she's Charlie. And then Cora's 13. She was after Charlie. And Mitchell Mann is nine. And um, you'll hear me say a lot about Mitchell because he's got um, significant, profound hearing loss. And it's fun to see how God uses that and how, you know, here we are nine years later looking back and we can totally see how God is good in that. And so you'll hear me speak about Mitchell a bit too, but I want to give you just a few things to just be aware of. I have my own kind of vocabulary, so you might hear me say words like rut -ruh. That can be an adverb, a noun, an adjective. It can be pretty a preposition. I think I could use it as a preposition. Okay, so just know it. Um, I might say dude, not in terms of the Lord, because I would never do that, but I might, I might call you dude. <laughs> if I see you out there, I'm like, dude, you look great. Um, and you will probably hear me say the word C-R-A-P once, because, you know, I know, wow, but it's so fun to say that one when you, in, this, in the context that I'm going to use it, so... Just know that. I will also be wearing, I didn't know what to wear because, you know, I'm a jeans, sandals, and t-shirt kind of person. And so then I thought, well, I'm just going to come in my jeans, sandals, and t-shirt. But I thought, I'm going to wear a different t-shirt each session that will actually pertain to the session because I love t-shirts with words. So today is I am second. Okay, and I love t-shirts because if they have a message and you're out and about and somebody asks you about it, that's fun. And this is countercultural. No one says, I am second. <laughs> Nobody. And so I get lots of either weird stares or people who say, what does that mean? And then they're, afraid, then they're like regretting they asked me, you know, as I start telling them why I'm second, you know, but so you'll see that. The, um, the retreat booklet has lots of blank pages because um, anytime somebody gives me an outline to follow, I spend more time trying to follow the outline and I miss four or five other things. So I would prefer to just give you blank pages. However, that being said, you are absolutely welcome to take your phone and take pictures of my screen. I'm not at all opposed to that. If you're like, I can't write that fast, I would be taking my phone out too. If you can avoid getting me in, if you just say duck and I'll be like, go, you know, <laughs> that would help because I don't really want to be in there, but just know that. And so that'll be up there on the screen for you as well. Um, if you want the, um, the umbrella picture, I'm kind of an umbrella picture person. So if I came in, I'd say, well, where is she going to take us this weekend? The title for this session is called Enraptured. Defined, it's delighted, consumed, captivated, intoxicated by, literally takes your breath away. And so as I, that, that title, quite frankly, could really go to any retreat because we have to start out being enraptured by God before we can see what it is he has for us. And so tonight's session is all about the character and attributes of God. We are going to spend the whole night just soaking in who he is. Because it's not until we see who he is that we can then live in who he says we are. Amen? 
Amen. So tomorrow we're going to come back. We're going to see what he does for us tonight in his goodness, mercy, and grace. And tomorrow we're going to come back in the morning and we're going to see that he didn't just come to deal with our sin. He also came to deal with our shame. And we're going to, see, we're going to, we're going to put shame on the shelf this weekend. And we're going to say, done. Done. I'm not living like that anymore. And we're going to see exactly how he came to deal with our shame. Tomorrow night is going to be fantastic because we're going to see that he didn't just come to deal with our sin. He didn't just come to deal with our shame. He also came to deal with our fear. And that fear comes in the form of worry, fretting, and the big A word, anxiety. And we're going to see what he did. He came to deal with that. He does not want us walking around owning that. That is not why he came. Sunday morning, I'm going to thank you personally for, because for the last nine months or so, I've been consumed with what does it look like now. I I could teach you, oh, this is how you do it, but to do it myself was very difficult. And so what does it look like to preach the gospel to ourselves and live this day to day? As we go through the slides, today, today I don't even think there's any, but starting tomorrow I think there's one, and then tomorrow night there's more, and then Sunday is packed full of what I'll call PTs, which is practical tips. And so you'll see them on the bottom. It is my pet peeve to go to a session and come out and somebody says, how was it? I'm like, oh, it was fantastic. I'm like, so, so, you know, what'd you learn? What are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but it was so good. You know, and so I want to make sure that when you leave here, you have lots of, oh, I, you know what, I want to do this. The easy, practical tips. What does this look like lived out? You guys game for it? Yeah. Awesome. So this is what we're going to do, because if you're game for it, this is not going to be like an easy, stretching weekend. This is going to be a kickboxing American Ninja Warrior class, okay? This is, we're going to do some work, but you're going to get a lot out of it. I went to a, um, there was a candy store in... Oh, I can't remember the name of the town. Little town, where Widmer's Cheese Cellars is. So, Teresa, Wisconsin, that's it. Little tiny candy store there. And we went there for a homeschooling field trip. I homeschooled my kids. They're in public school now, except for one. And private school. Uh, one of mine goes to FBCA as well. But when we went to this candy store, there was this huge gumball machine. And it said on there, if you get the black gumball, you get 30 seconds to take anything you want off the candy bar. And they would give you a paper bag. And I'm like, no way. And you could see there was like a million gumballs in like three black ones, right? But we all tried it. And my friend's son got the black gumball. Dude, right? I mean, see, I'm totally going to use it. All right, so they gave, him, they gave him a paper sack. Now, if he had gone over to where the candy bar was and they said, and go. And he was like, huh, oh, no. Right? What would we have done if... Now, that's not what he did. He's a boy. He went whoosh. I saw you do that there. That's exactly what he did. Yes. That's what I would do. Right? It's candy. But what would... You know, whose fault is it if he leaves there with like two pieces in his bag? His fault. And so this, this weekend, we're going to open the floodgates. And it really is up to you what you take. It's up to you. But the bank vault is wide open. Go in and soak in the riches All right, so we're going to do that together. So in order to do that, though, we have to get ready. So everybody put your left hand in the air. And kind of out like this, because that's where your seatbelt would be, because we need to buckle up. Okay? So we're going to take that, and we're going to just go all the way down here. Now, if some of you don't know how to buckle, shame on you. All right, so we're taking it, and ready? We're going to make that sound together. Ready? One, two, three. 
Oh, no, 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 no. Try that again. Louder with like the Awana volume. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, that was better. I got spit on by front row. <laughs> no, I think legit I might have gotten spit on. It might have been me that spit on myself. I don't know. That's fine though. All right. So we're all in, we buckled up, you guys are ready for the, vet, the ride, and you know, sessions do last, I'm not going to lie to you, it's about an hour, so you're just going to have to, you know what, just bring in some coffee, if you tell your neighbor, poke me, pull a hair out, whatever, but keep me awake. All right, so here's, this is why we're going to be doing this, this is why we're looking at the attributes of God. There was a Johnny Depp concert recently, well I don't even know if it was recently, but there was a Johnny Depp concert, and all the people showed up, and they just couldn't wait to get a look at Johnny Depp. And a Boston Globe reporter turned around and snapped the shot. Oh. It, isn't it great? <laughs> there it is. Snap the shot. How many of them actually are there just to enjoy Johnny Depp? That little lady in the front, I heard you say it. Yep. She's the only one who really has eyes just for Johnny Depp. Everybody else is looking to see what he can do for them. You know what? I'm going to post this picture. Oh, I, I bet I get 500 likes for this. Right? Maybe if I shoot it right, I can get my face in the foreground and him in the background, and we'll look like we're actually pals. I'll do this. Right? And that's what we do. And this is what has happened with our society right now in our, in our walk with the Lord. We've gotten so distracted with what he can do for us, we've forgotten to just enjoy him for who he is. When he calls us to worship... It's unconditional. He just says, worship me for who I am. And that's why tonight I really want to just take this time to just look at who he is so we can get fresh eyes of worship for him. Fresh eyes. I remember being at the Toby Mac concert at Life Fest. Um, it had to be three years ago. And they invited a bunch of kids from our local church. We go to Appleton Alliance Church. And they invited a bunch of kids on stage to be with Toby Mac. All right, I know that just got the attention of one of the sound guys back there because he's a Toby Mac fan too. But my kids got to go on stage. And I'm sitting down here. I tried to sneak on because I'm five feet tall. They wouldn't have it. Yeah, but so I'm down here. It was raining. I had a raincoat on and I'm watching my kids up there. And one of my kids has the cell phone. And he's like, and he's trying to get Toby Mac in the background. Like, yeah, you know. And I'm like, oh. He's just got, you know, whatever. He's a little distracted. My other guy, Mitchell, he was six at the time. He is literally, his eyes are peeled on Toby Mac. Now, granted, he doesn't hear well. So he didn't hear the guitarist as the guitarist knelt down next to him and said, do you want to play my guitar? Oh. Ah. And we're all like, Mitchell, look, look. And he was like, uh-uh, my eyes are here. You know, but for me, I, I walked away from that taking this picture of what worship is. You know, I get that he couldn't hear what was going on, but I think if we really work at it, we can tune out all the distractions of the world too and keep our eyes focused just on him. Why? Well, let me read you this quote. This is what, this is what society now, the normative society, views Christianity as. Christianity and God are not life-changing, they are life-enhancing the greatest enemy of Christianity may be people who say they believe in Jesus, but who are no longer astonished or amazed by him. We've forgotten how to get excited about Jesus, how to sing, dance, celebrate, and laugh. There's no surprises anymore. Take surprise out of faith and all you have is dry and dead religion. 
Jesus was unpredictable. That was the one thing people loved about him. Amen? Amen. And instead, where we've gotten is we've gotten into this Romans 125 mentality. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. This is where we've gotten. You know, if, if you were in school and you had a secret admirer and that secret admirer got into your, your, clo- your locker and like left little gifts there, at some point, it wouldn't be enough to be getting the gifts anymore. It would drive you nuts wanting to know who was putting them in there. I had, I had a kid like that in my grade school. We were assigned them, so we knew they were coming. Still didn't know who it was. And they managed to like shove a whole box of chocolates through those little slats in the lockers. So they were like squished. But I didn't care. But it was driving me nuts. I just needed to know who was giving me the gifts. And that's what we need to get back to. Who is bearing all these gifts all these gifts, because the reality is we were made to worship something. Psalm 139.14 tells us, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Some of you may even see that around camp this week, and I, I was astonished last week. It was the first verse I saw as I left here, and I thought, oh, there it is. But I remember first reading this verse and thinking, well, I'm not, I don't fear God like that. I'm not like scared of him. But that word fearfully means that I was made to worship, to awe, to revere something. And because it's how we were made, if we don't worship God, we will worship something else because we were made to worship. We were made fearfully. We were made to awe and revere in the majesty of something. And you may say, well, no, we, we wouldn't do that. Well, actually we do. And every time we do, every time we, we do that thing where we worship and serve the created rather than the creator, the angels in heaven are like, no way. Let me show you the verse, Jeremiah. Here we go, Jeremiah 12, 2, 11 and 12. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. Literally, the heavens, as they watch us trade God, the creator, for his created, the heavens are like this. <gasps> no, you, no, you would not trade God for that. <gasps> oh, no. And they're shocked because they're in the presence of God and they know what's at stake. But the heavens are appalled when we trade our creator, our creator God for the things he's created. And we can say, well, we don't do that, but let's just think about that for a minute. You know, what is a God? A God is something you worship. It's something that you sacrifice to. And so if we really look at what a God is, well, sacrifice. So it's gotta be costly, otherwise it wouldn't be a sacrifice, right? It's gotta be costly. And sacrifice is something that we do often. So it's gotta be costly, and it's gotta be done often. And so that thing we sacrifice to becomes our God because in essence, we're worshiping it. So let's look at some gods from the Old Testament and maybe even some some gods that you may have heard about and let's just see the difference here. So let's take um, Aphrodite. She's the goddess of what? Beauty, fertility, all right? So the goddess of fertility, of beauty. I just wonder how much time we have spent over and over again worshiping the God of beauty. And I wonder how costly it's been to us. Beauty and and enhancement products and things like that, age-defying products are a number one seller in the nation. People trying to defy their age or just keep themselves looking beautiful. 
Dionysus is the goddess of wine. And we could think, I would never, I would never do that. I would never like worship the goddess of wine. But as a nation, we do. Last year alone, it was a $6.8 billion deficit. And that's what it cost us in lost worker wages. Not what it was costing us in actually like purchasing alcohol. What about um, Hermes, the god of reputation? And we could think, well, I wouldn't do that. Social media. I mean, how much time do we spend on social media building a reputation for ourselves? How costly is that? And we could say, well, I don't spend much money on it. I'm not talking money. What about the relationships that have suffered? It breaks my heart when I go to a restaurant and a boy, a young boy is sitting across from his dad, clearly available for a conversation, and the dad is on the phone. Doing what? I don't know. It doesn't matter what he's doing. It doesn't matter. We've sacrificed relationships. It's costly. It is. Hera, this one cracked me up. This is a goddess of never forget an injury. No doubt, right? That's the god. Never forget an injury. All right, how costly has that been? Well, if I don't forget an injury, my guess is it has cost me a relationship somewhere. How often do I do it? Well, people that are holding on to bitterness do it daily. It's daily. Make up your mind now that you will not let someone ruin your life by allowing allowing yourself to hate them because it's not really impacting them at all, right? And then we've got Poseidon, that's the protector and control, security. How much time have we spent establishing for ourselves security for somewhere down the road? How much have we invested in it? And so we can say, that's crazy, but is it really? Because I think we do a lot of the same things, we just don't call it the same thing. And so we do sacrifice to something. So what's, what's in it for us to get our eyes on the Lord? What's in it for us to worship and fear God? Well, let's go through these. Here we go. Proverbs 16, 6. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. That sounds pretty good. So once I put my awe and reverence and majesty back on God, evil is avoided. That sounds like that's in my camp. That is for me, Right? Um, here's another one, Exodus 20, 18 and 19. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. This is as Moses was coming back down the mountain with the Ten Commandments and this is what they saw. And they, as soon as they saw how awesome God was, their first response is, we need a mediator. We need someone to talk to him for us. As soon as we see how awesome God is, then our need for Jesus Christ becomes apparent because we see the need for a mediator. You talk to him for us. We can't stand in his holy presence, right? Last one, let's go right here. Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Difference between knowledge and wisdom. Let's just talk about that for a second. So knowledge and wisdom are totally different. They're, they might be brothers or siblings or cousins or something, but they're different. And so if I'm, if I'm a five-foot-tall girl, which I am, and I get real angry real fast, and my fist goes out that far when I get angry, then that's great knowledge to have. Wisdom would tell you, don't stand here. <laughs> right? Right, that would be wisdom. Don't stand here when the angry, angry little girl gets mad, right? 
And so there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is just having it up here. Wisdom is knowing how to use it. Knowing how to use that information. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That means taking what you know and applying it to your life in a way that, that brings about results that please the Lord. That's the difference. Difference between wisdom and knowledge, or wisdom and knowledge is something that we definitely need to know. We're gonna hit that again on the last day in a, in a very practical way too. A couple other reasons why we wanna study or worship, or worship and fear God. One, the bigger he is, the smaller my problems are. The bigger God is, the smaller my problems are. If your problems seem over-consuming, here's a practical tip you won't see up there. Start studying the attributes of God. Because the bigger he gets, the smaller your problems are gonna seem. Another reason we studied is because if you know who he is, then you know the promises he makes he can keep. The story is told about Napoleon Bonaparte, and he was, in a, he was in a battle, and he started to lose control of his horse. And a rank soldier that was next to him grabbed the reins and steadied the horse for him. And Napoleon looked down at that rank soldier, and he said, huh, of what rank are you, general? Oh. And the rank soldier looked up at him, and he said, I'm a general of the generals. And Napoleon said, so you are. Oh, dude. <laughs> so he takes off his soldier garb, his rank soldier garb, and he marches right over to where all the generals are standing. And he marches right up to them. And they, of course, look him up and down, probably spew on the ground a little bit. What are you doing over here? Get back in line with your rank soldiers. And he says, oh, no, I'm a general of the generals. You get behind me. And they said, by whose authority? He says, his. That's all it takes. If you know the one that made the promise, then the promise is good if he can keep it. I could promise you a million dollars, but I can't keep that promise. I don't have the resources. I could promise you that I'll, I'll you know, lift this building with my pinky, but I can't do that because I'm not all powerful. And so if we understand who God is and that he can keep every promise he's ever made, now the promise has power. But if we don't know who he is, it could seem like an empty promise. That's another reason we study the attributes of God. Here's a third reason we study it. If you're sitting in your front yard and you're doing gymnastics, okay, just work with me on it. If you're like, dude, really? Okay, just pretend. You're doing gymnastics and you do um, a uh, round off back, back tuck into a back walkout, okay? I'm not sure what that would even look like, but it sounded great saying it. Any gymnasts in the area that... Did that make sense? Did it make sense? Yeah, okay. Thank you, friend. <laughs> and you do that, and all of a sudden, the five-year-old neighbor boy comes over, and he sits there, and he's watching, and he says, that's beautiful. And you're like, oh, thanks, Jimmy. And then you do it again, and Gabby Douglas happens by, and she goes, oh, that's beautiful. What? See, it means more if the person who holds the position holds a position of power and prestige and reputation. And so for us to say, hey, God thinks you're great and he loves you and you think God is about that big, that doesn't mean as much. As soon as you see how enormous God is and how enraptured he is with you, that will allow you then to be that much more enraptured with him and to see yourself the way he sees you because he's the one who said it. It'll give you confidence. That's the one thing I'll tell you I heard last week and there's a lot of people left feeling like they had more confidence 
and encouraged to go out and take more risks. So that's my hope for this weekend too. As we start studying these attributes though, um, Job 26, 14 will tell us that we are only studying the fringe. These are but the outer fringe of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him. Who then can understand the thunder of his power? Now look at the vest. The fringe is literally that tiny little part on the bottom. When we start studying God's attributes, that's pretty much what we're studying. We will never know him fully, but we can know him truly. And who you say God is determines everything else about your life. And so if if he's just on that fringe and that's all we're studying, imagine, let your mind just imagine how great he really is. If all we we even see is just the fringe. Oh, I love that. God does not lose any of his attributes. I remember a friend of mine who I would say was the most patient and gentle person alive, and then I saw her son dump a two-gallon container of red Kool-Aid on the carpet. Enough said. (laughs) She lost her patience, right? God doesn't lose it based on circumstances. He is who he is all the time. And he doesn't change. So it's not like he can go from bad to good or good to bad, because that doesn't even make sense. So like if you had an apple and the apple looked good, well, the only way for the apple to change is to get better or worse. And that would mean the apple wasn't perfect. But God is perfect, so he doesn't get better or get worse. He doesn't change. So the promise he made then is the same as the promise now. Character in the Old Testament, New Testament, same as the character we have now. And so we're going to start in looking at his attributes. First one we're going to look at is the fact that God is eternal. Eternal means that God existed yesterday, today and tomorrow, all at the same time. That means you don't have to worry about tomorrow because God has already been to tomorrow. And you don't have to worry about the mistakes you made yesterday because God already knew those were happening and loves you anyway. Today, tomorrow, future, all at the same time, or past, present, future, all at the same time. In order to illustrate this, I want to show you a video that I think will drive it home for you. Isn't that a perspective shifter? Yeah, and if you're sitting and you've got a God that is as big as he is and you know he's looking behind those doors and you can trust him, then what do you have to fear? You know he's got it all in the the palm of his hands. I, I love that he says, you know, if you could see all my sin at once because boy, if you could see, like just think of one person in your life and you could see every single sin they were gonna do against you at one time. And maybe they said they were really sorry, but you could see the fact that they're, you're going to do the same thing to me in two days. Would you forgive them? I'd be like, mm-mm-mm. You know, you'd be like, oh, this is a tough one to forgive. I know you're going to do that again. And yet God sees everyone at the same time. And I love the video where it says he doesn't forgive us because of who we are. He gives us, forgives us because of who he is. See, in that John 3, 16 verse, for God so loved the world, when we think of love, we think, well, I love that person because of how they make me feel. I mean, I love my husband because of how he makes me feel. I just, he's so good. But if he was really mean to me, it would be really, I, I wouldn't say I love him because of how he makes me feel anymore. And then I might even say, you know what, I don't feel like loving him anymore. And that makes it about how he's treating me and making me feel. If we're sinning against God all the time, which scripture tells us we are, He can't be looking down on me like, oh, they're so good to me. He loves us because he is love, not because we deserve it, just because it's who he is. 
And we can look at that and we can say, well, wait a minute. Now, love, you know, what about all the pain and suffering we see in the world? And let's tackle this one. Okay, let's tackle this one. Let's do it. Because there's a few things we need to think about. You know, we could say it's cruel for, for God to bring somebody into this world of pain and suffering. And, and we could say that, that just seems cruel and unusual. But let's think about that for a minute. Because if, if that's what we think, then we really have to indict every parent. Because every parent who's ever had a child does so taking risks. Knowing that the world you're bringing that child into is a world where they may experience suffering. They may, they may like my son, come out with something, something that is, is wrong, you know, the hearing loss. You know, I took that chance. Why? Love. Love. So we can't indict every parent, which means we really can't indict God either. And God could have really made the world four different ways. If you think of every possible way he could make the world, he could have not made anything, he could have made a world where choosing him was the only option. He could have made a world where there was no good and no evil at all. Or he could have made the world the way he did. And out of those four options, the only one where love is a possibility is the way he made it. It's the only one where love is even a possibility to showcase God's love. But let's take it a step further. And when we're thinking about suffering, because this is a real thing, you know, we've got, um, oh, hang on, I've got to find this one. I'm going to actually save that one. How do you like that? I'm going to save that for God is good. I'm going to put that under there. But what we have to think about with suffering, too, is if you're going to bring a child into this world and God has us, two questions we have to ask ourselves. Are you willing to suffer alongside your child? Because if you are, then it's love. And are you willing to sacrifice for your child? And if you are, then it's love. And God did both of those things. He suffered. Jesus is called the suffering servant. And he sacrificed literally his son. So God is love. Everything he does is out of love. But he is not a prisoner to his love. Every one of his attributes hold the same weight. So he's not the, it's not like his, his judgment is subject to his love or his compassion is subject to his love. They're all equal weight. They all showcase his glory. Let's go on to another one. Let's go on to the omnis. And so let's do omnis. Omni means all. So omnipresent means he's always present. Omniscient means he's all-knowing. And omnipotent means he's all-powerful. Now when you're looking at these, I, when I look at these, I see a positive and a negative about these, like one that makes me like super like, oh, I love that he's that, and one that makes me like, oh, that kind of hurts, right? And so let's look at those. Always present. I love that God is always present with me. You know, I've got kids who sometimes will wake me up in the middle of the night, and all I have to do is open my eyes. I might even be drooling, eye boogers, whatever, and be like, what's up, what's up? And like, oh, I just want to make sure you're awake. Okay. Like, just me being awake makes them feel better. I'm not like, I'm not going to do anything. I'm like, what? You know, they feel better just because I'm there and I'm awake. God never sleeps, never slumbers. That makes me comfortable. I like that. It comforts me. But the fact that he's always present makes me a little bit uncomfortable, too. Because that means that nothing escapes his gaze. So what am I enjoying? What sin am I enjoying that he died for? Maybe I'm watching something on TV that's showcasing a sin that he died for. 
Maybe I'm listening to something, either it be gossip or music lyrics or, or something else where it's showcasing something he died for. It's kind of like living in a little apartment with somebody. Everything you do, they see. Everything you emit, they smell. <laughs> you know, I mean, it doesn't matter. They're, they're, they're with you all the time. Which does lead us, though, to say, if you're ever feeling far from God, it's always your fault. Because he's always present. Next one, omniscient, all-knowing. That makes me happy. I love the fact that he knows everything. Because there's this portion in scripture where Peter denies Christ three times. And then Peter goes up and he's talking to Jesus. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. This is after a major failure on Peter's part. And I have had some major failures. And on those days you can think, oh, I, he probably doesn't even think I love him, man, the way I'm treating him. He knows I still love him. That's so cool to me that he still knows I love him. But the fact that he's all-knowing makes me a little uncomfortable, too. Because that means, did I ever truly get away with anything? I mean, I never truly get away with anything. So if we walk around and we're like, oh, I'm going to sneak that 20, no one knows, and we really think we got away with something, it shows us that our view of God might be too small. We don't really get away with anything. He knows everything. Omnipotent, all-powerful. That makes me super happy. It makes me super happy because it's like having that big brother behind you. There's this scene in Star Wars. Any Star Wars Last Jedi fans? Thank you, thank you. Handful of hands, love you, perfect. There's this scene at the end and Luke Skywalker and Kylo Ren are arc enemies, so to speak. And Kylo Ren is watching as Luke Skywalker is coming at him. He's like, oh, all missiles on him. And you hear the as all the missiles go pointed toward Luke Skywalker and Luke just keeps walking very staunch. And then he says, and then you fist clenched and you just feel the anger. And he's like, fire! And it's like, like there's just smoke and red and fire and you can't see anything because there's just a smoke bomb that's going off. And it, pretty soon another general or somebody you know, kind of grabs Kylo's arm and he's like, hey, I think you got him. You know, and, and Kylo kind of relaxes his fist. He's like, oh, he's sweating and he's breathing heavy. Oh, yeah. But then they go to the other scene and here comes Luke Skywalker walking right out of that haze and he goes like this. <laughs> That's my God. <laughs> I feel like the enemy can try whatever he wants and God's like, yeah, is that all you got? <laughs> I love that. That's my God. But that makes me a little uncomfortable too. Right? I mean, all powerful. I mean, you could squish my head just doing this. That makes, like, there's something a little uncomfortable about him being all powerful. If you were on this side and didn't know him, I suppose it would. Let's go to the next one. God is sovereign. So this is a picture of a kid in a grocery cart. And I feel like this is a good picture of what God's sovereignty looks like. We think we're in control. <laughs> right? And God's like, yeah, you think you're in control. You know? And I've done that in the grocery store with my kids. And they're like, eh, and every now and then I'm like, all right, we'll give him one. Eh, you know, you kind of ram him into the cantaloupes, whatever. It's all good. Things fall. And the kids are like, did you see that? I'm like, I did. You know, but that can make us uncomfortable too. Like God's in control. Well, well wait a minute. Don't I get to control anything? Yes, you, you do. We get to control our thoughts. We get to control our attitudes. Attitudes are about our bodies, about the people in our life about our circumstances. And the one big thing we get to control is we get to decide how we're gonna do something. 
Years ago, my sewer system in my basement overflowed. There was poop everywhere. I stood there, and I, and I walked downstairs, and I felt, and I'm like, well, that's not pleasant. And I backed up, and my husband, of course, was traveling. And so I looked at it, and what, like, really legit, what are my options? Like, to leave it? I'm not going to leave it. I mean, I have to clean it up. The one thing I get to decide, though, is how. How, do, how am I going to do it? I can scream. I can cry. I can throw a fit, or I can get mama some new rain boots and go down and shovel some poo. And so that's what I did, because what else are you gonna do? And then my girls made me brownies because they thought that was really funny. <laughs> they really did too. They came downstairs like, we got brownies for you. <laughs> so you know what I did? I took a little paper plate, scooped a little up. I got brownies for you. <laughs> <laughs> Why wouldn't we? Why not? Why not? So we could say to ourselves, okay, well, what else am I in control of? Well, one more thing, reacting versus responding. And there's a difference. If you react, it becomes all about you. Somebody makes you upset, you react, it's all on you now. If you respond, it's different. It makes them retro reflect on what happened there. There's a huge difference, and that is in my control. I get to react or respond. And so some people might say, well, why even bother praying then? You know, if God is in control of everything, why bother praying? Donna, can you, can you come and take this? Um, it was my intention to give this book to my, my new friend Liz here. By the way, this is a book by uh, Miss Kate, who's on the worship team. She wrote this book, Come and Worship, a phenomenal book. I am on day nine, and it is great. Right over here, Liz, uh, second one right here. So give that to Liz right there. Yep. <laughs> Liz, she's like, I'm right here. <laughs> you know and it, so there's first sale in the back too 10 bucks a book they are great you'll hear me talk more about them um, but my intention was to give the book to Liz I used Donna to do it and our prayers are the same way God intends to do something our prayers are the means to his ends and he likes using our prayers to get his ends done it's an honor I bet Donna enjoyed giving Liz the book, right? It's an honor to give that to, to somebody. It's an honor to pray and be involved in kingdom work that way. All right, God is good, Psalm 107.1, next attribute. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. Now we can go back to, and this is where I was gonna um, put this in the love category, but I think we need to put this in the good category instead. But when we think about God's goodness, it can be real tempted, Old Testament's, Okay, people are, he's just killing off whole people groups. Genocide, the Amalekites, genocide, right? I mean, he's ordering deaths. How, how is that good? I mean, babies and cattle, how is that good? But let me ask you a question. There was a Texas father years ago who had a four-year-old daughter and he hired a 26-year-old ranch hand to help him on his ranch. And one day as he was in the, the barn, the adjacent barn, he heard his daughter screaming and went around the barn and found this man abusing his daughter. Went up and he clocked him right here, ended up getting him right in that temple area, that soft spot, and killed him in one blow. What would be crueler for him to walk in and be like, oh, I'm sorry, baby, that's gotta hurt, or to do what he did? It would be crueler for him to stand by and watch somebody abuse his child, right? Anytime in Old Testament time you see God take out a whole people group, it's because they're after his child, Israel. Remember that. Because people, that would be one argument. People say, God's not good. Look at all these people he killed off. He did to protect his child. And wouldn't you do the same? Yes, we would. 
But let's think of it in another term. So let's say if you were, here, I'll get this little guy. Let's say if you were to look at my life, and my life is represented by this board. This is the beginning of my life, and this is the end of my life. And you're an alien that came down from outer space, and you get to see just this portion of my life, just that little tiny bit. And it happens to be a day when I am five, and I'm going to the doctor to get a shot. And you see this. Oh, well, you see this. It's not flipping there, oops. Oh, we gotta go back there, we'll get back there, Todd. Pop over to the other one, the girl. There it is, okay? <laughs> this is what you see. This is what you see when you get there, and you're like, oh, whoa, and you watch as this masked doctor takes this long shot and sticks it in my thigh, and I react with screams, horrific screams. You would be tempted to say the doctor is what? Mean, evil, definitely not good. But if you could see the whole thing, then you would see that the doctor kept me safe and protected me from illness. Well, if we could take this timeline and take God's infinity, which means he exists forever that way and forever that way. And so imagine this timeline is never ending in either direction. Our life might just be this. And what we're going through, which seems so hard, we don't understand. And we could be very tempted to say God is bad and this is evil what's happening to us. But if we have a correct perspective on who God is, is it possible that it's good? That in God's economy, just like the shot doesn't make sense, and what we might be going through doesn't make sense, if I know who God is, it might just be good. Right? I'm going to have Todd back up to that slide, because you need to see this too, because this is the oldest trick in the book. In Genesis 3, it talks about how God made everything. Go read this yourself. And it says, then God said, then God said, then God said, as he's creating all of creation. And then as soon as he's contemplating and making man, it changes and it says, then the Lord God, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Anytime we see all caps Lord, it means Yahweh, God's essential character, which is his essential goodness. And so as soon as God made man, because we are made in his image, we encompass all of his goodness. He started being referred to as Lord God. All of his character wrapped up. Now look at what the enemy does. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? He took Lord off. Right away, he took out God's goodness and he's been doing it ever since. Anytime something happens, he takes out God's goodness and he says, oh, he can't be good. And it's the first doubt he places. Did God really say? And he changes his character. Don't be duped by that because it is a dupe. It's a lie. God is still good. No matter what, he's good. Now when we talk about goodness, we can talk about goodness displayed or goodness explained because you could say, well, okay, how do you know though with that big timeline that it's good though? I mean, how do we know he's good? And so there is a difference between goodness explained and goodness displayed. And so I might not be able to explain it, but when it's displayed, I can call it good. For instance, let's say your uncle Arthur had to have an amputation below the knee in the, in the hospital, and they were looking for someone who could don a leg. Like, we're looking for a leg donor. And everybody's like, no, no, no. And the doctor comes out and he says, I'll do it. 
I can perform this surgery on one leg, easy. You know, we can do this. And you might not be able to explain that, like why would he do that? But you couldn't deny that as it was displayed, it was good. Like only a good person could do that. And when you look at what Jesus did on that cross for us, we can't explain it all the time, but you cannot deny that it was good. And so let's do this. I need two volunteers. I forgot to tell you this is a, a volunteer thing. Two volunteers, quick, two people. I don't care who. Oh yeah, come on up. Oh yeah, bring your friend. Come on, bring a friend. There we go. Oh, you're up next. Yeah, perfect, perfect. She's coming up. Perfect. Yep, we got one. Perfect. Come on up here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So goodness displayed versus goodness explained. So let's just think for a minute that my two friends here, what's your first name? Eunice? 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 So Eunice is a A-plus student, okay? I know. Well, and she just, we just took a test, and she got an A-plus. Crazy good. Liz, on the other hand, <laughs> did not do very well, right? She got an F. Well, let's say these are their scores. And what we know from scripture is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which means we're all holding a proverbial F. If I were to put this A plus on top of the F, A and F averages out to a C. C, still not good enough. So it's not good enough for us to just say, hey, I'm just gonna give you grace. God has to first give us mercy. And this is where the gospel in our day and age is misconstrued a lot. Yes, it's the grace gospel. It's a gospel of grace. But before you can have grace, you have to have mercy. You have to realize you're holding an F. So Jesus comes along and he says, let's pretend you're Jesus, Eunice. And he says, I'll take your F. He said, will you give me your F? And Liz is like, yeah. And she says, I'll she just took it out of it. She says, I'll take that. <laughs> That was awesome. <laughs> we'll try this slower. <laughs> okay, so Liz has the F that she's very, very worked up about getting rid of, actually. And Eunice says, I'll take your F. Will you give it to me? And she says, yeah. So she hands it over. That's mercy. Then Eunice says, would you like my A plus? She says, yes, that's grace. But you cannot give grace before you have given mercy. A and F is a C. A and F is a C. And so often we want to tell people all about the grace of God, and yes, for sure, but that's not their greatest need. Thanks, girls. You can give them a hand. A little seal clap. Perfect. That isn't people's greatest need. Their big greatest need isn't to have their life be made better. If I would have accepted Christ because he would make my life better, I would have dumped him the moment my life got messy. Because my whole life I spent trying to, trying to fit things in and make my life better. And I was like, okay, maybe if I just achieve more. And so I picked up an achievement idol and I achieved great things. I was a probation officer and I got to the highest level very, very early in a supervisory role, making good money, having respect from people, achievement. And yet I wasn't happy. But you know, I know, maybe if I become uh, the party girl, right? I'll become the party girl. And then everybody will like me because I'm popular and I'm fun to be around. That lasts for a little while, but that doesn't do it. But I know men, yes, right? If I can gain their attention, that will make me feel self-worth. That doesn't last either. Money, nope, that doesn't last either. A new role, nope, that marriage, nope. Children, no, no. If we take Jesus on thinking he's gonna make our life better, then at the first sign of trouble, we'll dump him. I have four kids, but I had 10 pregnancies. 
So at those, after six, losing six babies, I'm thinking, I would have said, no thanks, you're not making my life better anymore. But that wasn't my greatest need. The greatest need we have is for a savior. Then what God does is when we, when we aim for him, he throws earth in. But he doesn't throw it in in the way we think. Like I didn't all of a sudden, you know, I didn't get this great job where I was making tons of cash. Instead, he gave me something every single person in the entire universe is looking for. Enough. Enough. I'm content with little. I have six people in a 1,600 square foot house with one full bath, and I'm content. That seems like a miracle, <laughs> right? I mean, when you walk on three boys using the toilet at the same time, and you're content, that's a miracle. I'm just saying, that's a miracle. So let's look at our, let's, let's just show you your F and his A+. plus. So here we go, first verse. Oh, you can skip over the girl. We'll skip there. Perfect. First Peter 2.22. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. He's perfect. A plus. Us, on the other hand, we said it before. Here it is in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We tend to like this group guilt thing. We all did it. No, no, no. You are individually guilty. We are all individually guilty. I will not stand in front of Jesus with my family someday, my pastor, or my youth group. I'm not, no, I'm there by myself, individually accountable for that. And why did he do it? Well, because in Romans 6, 23, it tells us how serious it is. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a free gift, which bears us to think, just for a second, why wouldn't some people take the free gift? It's a free gift. We have a joke in my house about a coin changer I bought for my son one year, and it was the bunk gift. You know, so if ever anybody's like, oh, I don't know what this is, I bet it's a coin changer, you know? So it was the gift that you didn't want to get. So let's just say, if you're gonna give somebody a gift, why wouldn't they take it? So let's assume that maybe you bought somebody a book, okay, and the book title is this. Controlling your mouth. Because to accept that gift, I have to admit what? That I have a hard time controlling my mouth. Or maybe they got me a book that says this. And for me to accept that, I have to admit that I have an issue keeping my kids under control, my unruly little tyrannical kids. Or maybe they give you this one. And you're like, Oh, I forgot my joke. Hang on. I'm going to take a pause button. Here's a pause. I forgot my joke. Krista, I'm so sorry. Okay, Mitchell made me promise, my nine-year-old made me promise that I would, he said, Mom, you can't talk to the women until you win them over. So let me give you a joke to tell them. So I forgot that. So, all right, now I'm going to win you over now, okay, because this is a good joke. So he says, what do the red light say to the green light? Don't look, I'm changing. So now I can say, Mitchell, I told him to joke. Good, Krista? She says, good. Awesome. All right, back to our book titles. Why wouldn't you accept the book? Now, let's say your mother-in-law gave you this one. Ooh. To accept that book, I need to admit that I need it. And if we were to take everything we've been talking about and put it into a book form, the book that Jesus is offering you is, Jesus came to save you from your sins. And so in order to accept that, some people don't accept it because they don't want to admit 
that they're sinners. We live in a society where it's erase the guilt. You're a victim. This is not your fault. No, it is your fault. You're a sinner. We all are. We all are. We've all fallen short of God's holy standard. And because of that, we are guilty. We are. The most freeing thing to do is to admit it. And you may say, well, why is he the only one that can forgive our sins? I am so glad you asked. I need two more volunteers. Because I got a friend I brought with me. His name is Bob. I need two very brave volunteers. Liz, you want to come back? Yeah, she's going to come back. Oh, oh wait, wait, I've got two newbies. Sorry, they're, they're, they totally, oh, I'm glad you were red. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> so kidding, but that was really funny. Perfect. All right, so you're going to grab this side, and you're going to come over here and grab this side, Janelle. Perfect. And I would suggest you grab here and here. Perfect. And maybe step forward a little bit. Perfect. Awesome. So let's say this is Bob, and Bob is my friend sometimes. And then, you know, Bob makes me a little angry some days. And so I might tell a lie to Bob. I might tell a rumor about Bob. I might spread horrible rumors about Bob on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And I might Google something really bad about him on YouTube, too. Perfect. And, you know, it's not enough. Because I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell the teacher Bob was the one who was cheating. Right? And so from our perspective, we're like, look at all the sins we did to Bob. But from God's perspective, it looks like this. Turn right around. It looks like that. Every single rule we break was a rule that God made. It's God we offended against. And so he has to be the one to forgive our sins. It'd be like if you hired a babysitter and the babysitter came in and the kids were unruly for the babysitter and they broke all the rules you set up and you came to, to relieve the babysitter at night and they, they apologized to the babysitter. What about you? You're the one who made the rules. That would be unfair. They need to apologize to you. And so only God can forgive our sins because it's him we offended. Thanks, ladies. You can just dump Bob. Dump him down. We see it right here in Psalm 51.4. This is David talking. And David, come on now, let's think of what David did. He stole a man's wife and he had the guy killed. I'm pretty much thinking that he offended those people. And yet he can say, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. And we can think, all right, are we agreed that, yeah, we need to go to God for the forgiveness of our sins? Absolutely. Now the question arises, and we'll end after this. Don't worry, I'm getting you out of here. Is the punishment too harsh? I mean, hell? I mean, that's harsh. And admittedly, it is harsh. So harsh that it's mentioned more in the Bible than heaven. And God says, anybody who dies in their sins, that is where they're going to be going. And we think, that, wait, that's just too harsh. But do you know that our society itself validates the fact that they agree with this? The entire universe agrees with this, and I'll show you why. Let's say I'm a kid, or a 10-year-old kiddo. No, let's make me older. Let's say I'm 18, we'll make me an adult. 18 years old, and I have a 10-year-old brother, and I smack my 10-year-old brother. My punishment will probably be that I'll lose my phone for a week. Then my mom comes home, and she gives me that punishment, and I'm not very happy about it, and so I smack my mom. Right on, yeah, I saw, she almost threw up over here. I saw it. She had to catch it. It was horrible. Yeah, like, who would do that? 
So what's the punishment? Is it gonna be just losing my phone for a week? Nuh-uh. And you know, so my dad comes in to kind of talk to me about what I did and I smack my dad. Ouch. They send me a little walk to clear my head and I'm still a little angry because I'm that angry five foot old, you know, girl and I see a policeman coming. Yeah, I did it. I do it. I, can't. I smacked him. And my punishment is I find myself in the pen. I'm, I'm wearing orange, right? Behind bars, wearing orange, eating porridge. I mean, that's it. And then, it's so cool though, the president develops this rehabilitation program. Last week, by the way, I said reincarnation program. <laughs> Which was really, really funny, because I didn't catch it right away and I kept going and they were all like, what is she talking about? <laughs> Okay, rehabilitation program, and the president decides to bring some people out of jail and rehabilitate them, and gives them a chance to come to, to the White, White House into his Oval Office, and I'm one of those kids that gets picked. Oh, snap. And I get into the Oval Office, and he's writing a bill into law, and I do it. Oh, I, I know! I went right over, I smacked him, the hair flip, not mine, his. Right? Do you think my punishment is the same? No, that pun, I'm, I'm facing like, I might be facing like a, like a shorter version of me, right? <laughs> so what changed? In each instance, I hit somebody. The person I offended against changed, and our society agrees that the higher the position of the person, the more, the, the bigger the, offend, the, the bigger the penalty should be. Well, President Trump is a created being. What do I get for offending the creator? I don't think hell is that strict. I don't think it's that harsh based on who we offended. And so as we leave here tonight, I just want to point out, you know, there's every single world religion is trying to, trying to make sense of four things. Evil, love, justice, and forgiveness. Evil, love, justice, and forgiveness. Every world religion is trying to figure that out. Christianity is the only one where all four of those come together at the cross. All four come together at the cross of Jesus Christ. Each one of us is guilty individually. Will you let him take the punishment for your sin once for all? Because he's a good judge. He can't punish twice for one crime. And once Jesus takes your punishment, he can't give another one. But if he's never taken the punishment, then you are still guilty but he's so good. He says, I will take it on myself. Come down and take your punishment. Will you let him? Tomorrow, we're gonna see how he didn't just come to deal with our sin. He came to deal with our shame because he is so compassionate, generous, and good. Are you guys ready for that one tomorrow? Let's do it. All right, let me pray with you. Father God, Lord, I pray and I thank you so much. I thank you, Father, for laughter. I thank you for your character and your attributes, which we don't understand fully, Lord, but we can understand truly. I thank you that you've started to just expose a little bit of the fringe to us tonight, and we're gonna keep seeing your character all through the weekend, Lord, as we, as we start to delve into shame and fear and preaching the gospel to ourselves daily. I thank you for every woman that's here, Lord. Speak directly to their heart. There are some women right now that really just felt a heart response to that message, Lord. And Father, don't let us sit in that. There is no shame in that. But let us just admit and say, I want, that, I want that book title. I want the gift. I want Jesus to save me from my sins. There's no shame in that, Lord. There's only glory and freedom and victory. And we pray all this in your precious son, Jesus' name. And they all said? Amen. They all said? Amen.